Good day, everyone. My name is Stefan Pretorius, the Chief Technology Officer for WPP, and it is my pleasure today to welcome you to WPP's Metaverse and More Academy podcast, where we'll be discussing a wide range of Metaverse and Web3 related topics with experts from the WPP network and special guests from the industry at large. As we cover both established concepts and track new developments in the space, we hope this series is informational and inspirational. Thank you for coming on the journey with us. Please sit back and enjoy another exciting discussion about the metaverse and more. Hello, and welcome back to WPP's Metaverse and More Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Robertson, and today we're going to be talking about the flashy side of the metaverse. I'm super excited about our guest, Austin Mace. Hello, Austin. Hey, Sarah. How's it going? Thanks for uh, having me on. Tell me, what is it that you do in uh, virtual reality? Yeah, so uh, back in 2015, I started a studio down in Austin, Texas called Subversive. And we've been working on virtual and augmented and metaverse experiences ever since. So uh, yeah, I've just always been really fascinated with the technology I was lucky enough to go to school somewhere that actually had a virtual reality lab. So it was kind of a lab rat there and was like, man, there's a lot of really cool applications of this. So packed up a U-Haul with, with one of my friends and moved down to Austin to start Subversive. Cool. What was the tech like back then? Yeah. So uh, it was really interesting. My uh, mentor and professor at Miami of Ohio, uh, where I went to school, you know, he had gotten in very early with Oculus, even before, you know, they were purchased by Facebook. So a lot of the hardware we had, it, it went back to the very early development kits. So very bulky on your face, required a, you know, big computer to drive. And we actually had this thing called the cave that was uh, this giant projection thing that you stepped into. You had to wear like special booties to go inside of there on your feet. And man, thinking back to all the uh, crazy hardware and bulky equipment of those days compared to where, you know, the new headsets are at now and where they're going, it's it's quite a trip. Yeah, it is. Um, I think the Oculus has been incredible for making the technology more accessible and I had some of the other VR kits before I got that one. And when it just started working off of my phone, my mind was absolutely blown. I feel like that's really pulling the technology forward. Um, what do you think? What is the what is the barrier to mass adoption right now? Why don't we see people running around on the streets like in that movie, uh, Ready Player One? Yeah, so that's a great question. I think, you know, there's a couple of things. First, you know, as we've been talking about right now, the hardware uh, continues to get better, but it can get even better from here. So I know a lot of money and time and energy around the world is being put towards creating lighter, faster headsets. And accompanying that is also working on infrastructure problems like, you know, how do we stream things to headsets using technology like 5G or pixel streaming so we can kind of overcome these compute barriers? And then the second really is kind of an experience design challenge. And it's, uh, you know, how do you seamlessly get in and out of a virtual reality experience? So these things are kind of intertwined and, you know, they're being solved. But and then I think kind of a third one is just finding the right use cases of when do I get in virtual reality? So 
I kind of look at it similar to like when people use, you know, a Peloton or their iPad or, you know, these other pieces of technology where they fit into our lives at certain points. But yeah, it's not like folks are putting on a headset for 10 hours a day right now, at least. And, you know, that's okay. So where does VR fit into our lives right now? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So really where what I love using virtual reality for most is a lot of the like social and atmospheric and passive experiences. So most recently Meta came out with Horizon Worlds and it's been really fun to jump into mini games with my friends that are all over the country and set up times like game nights to hang out and do that. Uh, I also have some friends that have gotten really into Beat Saber and have been like, wow, this is actually something that I can use to exercise and get around and lose weight. So there's also been some really interesting uh, applications of this in the fitness realm as well. But yeah, for at-home use, I've definitely seen a lot of uses of you know the Meta Quest as a shared device where you know your kids are using it, your wife might use it for a couple of games, and then you might use it to hang out with your friends. So very much like the early days of the iPad, uh, coincidentally enough. Yeah. Uh, you said the magic words, which are beat saber. Uh, I tried hard to connect <laughs> with other VR type of experiences and nothing really did it for me until I found beat saber. And oh my God, what a like eye opener it was. It's so immersive. It's so engaging. It's got amazing music, amazing visuals. Like I feel like I don't know, really, um, set the tone for what the platforms can be. Um, and I actually discovered it on the PSVR. That was my first VR. I don't know if you had it or if you have an opinion on the PlayStation yeah. device, mm -hmm. um, but I would say it's actually still my most used one. I have the Oculus, the HTC Vive and the PlayStation and the PlayStation one is just more like family friendly. I feel like there's something culturally where you gather around the console and the TV screen and it, I don't know. I, right. I, I've had a really hard time translating that on the Oculus and certainly not on any PC devices. Do you see VR as like, um, like a communal type of experience that we might do together in family settings like that? Or is it going to be more, of the dystopian future people talk about where we're all like isolated in our pods, living our fake lives. And <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. No. Yeah. It, it's, it's funny to think about. And, you know, I'm definitely, I take more of the optimistic approach, you know, in that regard. And, you know, I just think about everything that we went through recently and kind of emerging in this post COVID world where a lot of us were staring at screens all day, telecommuting, and that sort of thing. But I feel like there's always going to be this need for human interaction. Like in my free time living in a city like Austin, on the weekends, there's nothing more that my wife and I love to do than going to actually see some live music. And so virtual reality, I, I think, it again, it's, it's not a replacement for these real life IRL experiences. They really should be an enhancement. So Going back to that kind of like family game night moment, you know, there's games out there like Keep Talking and Nobody Expo Explodes, which is a uh, game that's actually specifically designed for one person to be in virtual reality 
while the rest are watching and playing along uh, with clues. So awesome. Um, I love, you know, I'm glad yeah. people are thinking about <laughs> that kind of an experience because it, it, I don't know, it's very isolating when you're the only one playing. So having other people involved is yeah. great. A hundred percent. And being a hybrid studio like we are, what's been really great is there's actually being straight up. There's, there's just been folks that we haven't met yet in person that are working on our, uh, on our team. And that's probably the norm these days, just given how global and connected everything has been. So we've used things like VR chat and other platforms as, uh, you know, team building moments and almost like uh, socials, but taking place online and in a, in a more immersive format. So again, yeah, it would be awesome to be able to get everyone to the same bar in the same city for that company party. But when, when the next best thing or the next alternative is there with VR, you know, the, those have actually been really great use cases. So as a VR headset, uh, standard issue company equipment when uh, someone joins your team? You know, it's definitely part of it. And I'd say what's what's been a challenge is, like, like we mentioned earlier, there's there's a lot of different headsets out there. So it's funny, we actually kind of have like almost like a library system where we've got every type of headset you can imagine. And depending on the different projects that folks are working on, we make sure that they've got the right equipment they need to uh, to do what they need to do. I do like the point you made about reconnecting with people after the long-term remote experience. Uh, I know we've hosted uh, at WPP a couple of like client meetings where we shipped out the Oculus headset to everybody. And that moment where everyone sort of appeared in the room together, there were these gasps and these like, I don't know, it was just joyful. And it, I totally didn't expect that. Like when you see Mark Zuckerberg talking about it and it's like this legless Lego character walking around, I don't know, it, it doesn't seem like you would have emotional connections in that space. Um, <laughs> but I've certainly already experienced it. And right. where do you think this is going? Um, do you think this device is going to be something we spend majority of our time on or is it going to be uh, more like a gaming console device that we visit from time to time will it replace the ipad <laughs> yeah so i've totally had that moment where you are hanging out with somebody in a, a virtual spatial environment and you kind of think back on that moment a few weeks later and you're almost recalling it like an actual memory that you had you know walking through the park or going to see a movie and actually being present there. And so in virtual reality, the way we talk about it is just this evoking a feeling of presence. And so a lot of the technology where we've advanced to and, you know, giving you six degrees of freedom, which means like you can like move around, walk around in an experience, as well as improving visuals and audio has helped build that presence. So as far as where things are going, look, I think honestly, a virtual reality headset will probably also be a really great augmented reality headset as well. And so when we see that convergence of where you can toggle between an AR experience and a VR experience, uh, I think that's going to really turn this into a um, occasional device to an everyday device. So when you do hear about, you know, the giants in tech like Apple and the rumor mill gets going around, what are they working on there in Cupertino? 
I think that's kind of the vision that a lot of the industry is, you know, seeing where this is going to be heading. So what does that mean for brands? Is every brand building their own VR app or some immersive world? Um, Are there just going to be like billboards in all of these virtual worlds that we're slapping our ads on? Uh, How can marketers be thinking about this strategically? Like, I feel like we spent a lot of time talking about the fun and the gaming, (laughs) but what do we do to use it as like an activation channel? Yeah, that's, that's a really great question. And I think, you know, this is a really pivotal inflection point in the trajectory of the internet. And so as we talk about virtual reality and how it windows up to metaverse, I think there's a lot of opportunity to be very thoughtful about how brands use this uh, you know, technology to reach consumers. And really, it's a new frontier for brand experience. And I think one of the things that we've seen brands having the most success with it at is really creating authentic experiences using the technology versus just rolling up and slapping an AR or VR billboard in a space. And so, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of you know thoughtful discussions and strategy and groundwork that has to be laid. But I think the payoff is also going to be enormous, especially considering as people shift where they're spending their times or their time, there will be more opportunities for you know consumers to interact with the brand experience. So I think brands have to be very purposeful about you know what do they want to add to the way people experience virtual reality and how do they do so authentically. Do you have any examples of brands that have already demonstrated uh, excellence in this space? You mentioned authenticity and um, that kind of thing. Like who could we look at as a good model? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great question. So I think it really depends on what platform you're looking at. So we WPP actually had the opportunity to do a um, you know an experience with EMI and Bastille on the Oculus Quest, and you know we really wanted to create a music experience that um, actually benefited from being in such a virtual environment versus you know just slapping a 360 video camera on stage and capturing that. So I think that's one example. I think you know a couple of other examples would be really how brands are playing around with platforms such as Roblox and Fortnite. So, you know, Roblox is not fully extended into virtual reality yet, but I think it is painting a picture of where that is going. And then finally, some of the work that Wendy's is doing and exploring around, you know, Horizon Worlds and playing around in that space, even just to test and learn, are are a few different areas to look at. I love Horizon Worlds, and I think the thing that got me most excited about it is how much effort they've put into making it a creator platform. So right out the gate, you're introduced to your avatar and then you're introduced to how do I build my own world? Um, And that sort of, I don't know, changed the way I looked at Meta's um, approach in this space. Do you think, um, why do you think they did that. Do you think it was necessary? And is it a model others are going to follow where it's creator platforms instead of big centralized monoliths like World of Warcraft or something? Yeah, I actually think it's going to be a hybrid of the two where you can have very curated built experiences that have 
big teams behind them and they're out there trying to tell a story. So imagine like what is what's the Game of Thrones of Horizon? And then on the flip side, yeah, you have influencers or artists or creatives that are individuals or small groups of individuals working together to build out and expand. And I think, yeah, you can't really understate the role of the creator economy and looking back at what the creator economy did for YouTube and what it's done for gaming and what it's now going to be doing for virtual reality and the metaverse. So I think there's definitely room for both, but I think what what we've seen is just, again, the more opportunity for creators to participate by there being a you know lower barrier barrier to entry for creating these these experiences, uh, there's only been upside. Yeah, I guess I'm super excited about the creator tools, but I want to caution the listeners that uh, the world is still a little bit rudimentary. So I think that's the disappointing part as you embark in each of these VR spaces is eventually you discover there's only a handful of interactions available to you where you can pick something up and throw it, you know, right. or yeah. maybe you could aim it. Uh, and it, it's a little bit limited. H- how do you think we're going to expand the scope of, of actual physical interactions? Um, and are we really going to end up somewhere with 360 treadmills that you can run in every direction? Or is this more of a, a sitting experience? Yeah. Yeah. So I've actually uh, had, had the opportunity to run on one of those 360 treadmills. and uh, No, yeah. you didn't. Yeah. Oh, my God. There's I'm so a, jealous. Is there video? Can we post yeah. video with the yeah, podcast? Yeah, I'll see if I can find it. And uh, it's actually pretty fun. <laughs> you know, it's it, you put these special shoes on and they slide around. But, you know, it did bring up a, a good point. Like, I don't know if I don't know if everyone will have a multi-thousand pound VR treadmill in, in, yeah, like a in their house. But, um, yeah, I, I had an experience like that at CES, except it was a giant metal ball mm-hmm. and you had to run on it like a mouse in a wheel. And, uh, it was extremely difficult. So I also imagined like, Oh, am I going to build a room for a big metal ball in my house? Like, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't sound feasible. Yeah. So, I mean, you are seeing it. Yeah. That's hilarious. Um, you are seeing you know, a lot of like event activation places or arcades starting to use virtual reality or, you know, there are new advancements with things like the Quest 2 with just how the boundary system works. So, you know, I've seen some pretty savvy uses of just UX and experience design where it kind of tricks your brain into thinking that you're covering more ground, even if you're just walking around in like a six by six space. So that's one area that they've kind of like, where people have started to push the limits in terms of what experiences you can design. But going back to kind of the the hardware limitations, the visual limitations that are currently exist on, you know, some of these larger scale platforms, look, I think we just, we haven't seen nothing yet. Like there's still so much room to grow in terms of just visual quality and fidelity and just very recent, I'm talking like the past couple months advancements in technologies like pixel streaming and, you know, things like the new Unreal Engine 5 coming out, uh, they're just going to enable a whole new level of virtual experiences. So uh, just like gaming, just like video, just like audio. And 
how easy it is to make this podcast these days versus, you know, how it would have been 10 years ago, I think we'll be pretty surprised at where things will be at over the next couple of years. All right. Since you are a VR expert and I have you at my disposal, there is one burning question that I have. So everyone told me when I got my first VR set that it was going to make me nauseous Mm -hmm. and I was going to get motion sickness and throw up. Uh, I played the PlayStation with no problems at all. It was fine. Um, Then I got the Oculus and like I started to feel a little tickle. Uh, And then I got the Vive and that one had like absolutely incredible HD visual, like so realistic, so immersive. And I could not wear that thing for more than five minutes without feeling like I was going to throw up just from, I don't know, the motion sickness. And I don't I don't see how I mean, maybe the scientists are hard at work on this problem. But how will we solve that that divide between what your mind is experiencing and what your body is experiencing and then how it makes you sick when they don't match up? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And honestly, it's, it's a physiological design problem. So the reason that you feel sick in VR is the exact same reason why you feel sick in, in a car when you're not able to see where you're going. And so, you know, it's basically a part of our brain going back thousands of years that is trying to tell you something like, hey, what you're, you are seeing doesn't check out with what your body's doing. So maybe you ate a poison berry or something. So I'm going to try to make you nauseous. So like that, that's just crazy. That blows my mind. Right. No, so. it is. it's absolutely wild. And it happens so quickly, mm-hmm. like a trigger reflex. And I don't know, I, I got sad because as the technology gets better, <laughs> we get sicker and somebody's got to solve it at some point. Yeah. So I wouldn't necessarily say that would be the reason for for why you know folks get get sick, and it's very much a vis- it's an individual by individual basis. But a couple of factors. One is yeah the weight of the device. So maybe with the Vive, if it, it was a little bit heavier and it's pulling on your neck and straining you, that doesn't help. The other thing we call it IPD. So it's the distance between your eyes and the headset when you put it on. So a lot of the newer fancier headsets actually let you dial that in. And it's the same thing when you like go to Werby Parker and they, you know, measure the distance between your eyes. So getting that dialed in helps. And then the third thing is just really savvy design of the experience and, and things that people do with patterns and horizons and just what you're seeing to make it easier for your body to reconcile with what you're doing. So I think it's like, yeah, but it's really funny and interesting to think about, though. It's like it's not like designing a website. You know, when you're designing a virtual experience, you have the opportunity to make it really comfortable for people or really uncomfortable for people. So I've noticed my level of sickness uh, is definitely correlated to the interface design that the game builder took. So Meta, for example, uses a, a jump mechanism like there's no. Um, smooth Mm -hmm. trailing into your spot. Um, But the first time I used a game that had that like walk around realistically was when I started feeling it. So um, that that's an interesting, a fascinating user experience discipline that is emerging right now. Uh, I also wanted to touch on you mentioning IPD because when I first got into VR, I was 
just excited and I was buying a bunch of stuff so I could experience everything. I didn't know what IPD was. Um, and then I got a tool to measure mine. And then I discovered that I am smaller than the minimum number for every major device. Um, and it's not just me, it's most women. <laughs> so uh, that was also a really disappointing discovery, yeah. especially with um, so much attention paid to accessibility and design in so many other areas. How did we only make headsets for big heads? And is, is that a problem that you think has a solution on the horizon? I, I, well, first, I think it's definitely a problem, and it reminds me a lot of the seatbelt problems back to when, and again, and it's still something that's being worked on, but seatbelts are less safe for women because the people who designed the original seatbelts were straight up, you know, just mostly a bunch of <laughs> What guys, did they so. think was going to happen? Like, well, they couldn't right? visualize it? I don't know. <laughs> I know, right? So... Yeah, I think that's, there's definitely a lot of areas there where the hardware, like you bring up a great point, like it needs to be designed inclusively. And then also thinking through what if people, you know, have like abnormalities or they don't, you know, they don't have vision in one of their eyes. How do you reach them in an accessible, immersive experience? So it's pretty classy that the Oculus ships with the little glasses right. frame. So if you wear glasses, you can still, they're thinking a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, yeah. And I actually, I let my kids play on the Oculus. I know it says not recommended for under 12, but that's just because we don't have enough research yet. My three-year-old loves it. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and I found the Oculus is the small, like the easiest for mm -hmm. them. It's the most lightweight. Yeah. Um, and mostly we just spend time on roller coaster rides, which is perfect for yeah, kids. Yeah, that might so. also be making you nauseous. I don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, um, and again, like I would say working in the industry, having all these different challenges, like that is what gets me excited every day is that like, it's like not everything's solved. There's still these like blue oceans, green forests, pick your metaphor of areas of discovery. So you know, that's just, that's one of the most exciting, you know, parts of why I love to wake up and, and do what I do. But I'm definitely very optimistic for, yeah, where things are going. I still check out the Unity SDK library, hoping to find a blockchain integration at some point. I feel like that's <laughs> going to be the thing that unleashes the <clears throat> the greater metaverse. I mean, uh, blockchain plus VR plus metaverse. I mean, that's like buzzword yeah. bingo. I mean, you got it's it all. It's the dream. <laughs> ah, speaking of buzzword bingo, I feel like that's a good segue into uh, our segment called Bullshit Bingo. This is your opportunity to uh, myth bust. Anything that you've heard about VR. So, for example, I already said VR makes you sick, but we already myth busted that one. Uh, but if there's others that you want to address, now would be the time. I think the biggest myth or misconception that we run into is people wanting to use virtual reality as a direct replacement for something. And, and I know we covered off on a little bit on that earlier, but you know, we, we really don't see virtual reality as a replacement for things we do IRL or 
a replacement for you know in-person interaction. If anything, it's it's just like any other piece of technology. It should enhance. It should um, you know improve upon ways that we are already using tools. So you know that would be my number one myth that I would bust. Oh yeah. Uh- there's no real world experience of breaking blocks with a lightsaber. Like right? that is yeah. something that can only exist in VR and it feels amazing. So Exactly. And like I you know, we had the opportunity to create a virtual reality series with Google and Apple Music shooting Austin City Limits, which is like the longest running TV show in the world uh, for for live music. And it was great. You know, it was super fun. You could go up and you could be right next to Ed Sheeran on stage. But, you know, that experience, while fun, what's also fun is going to a big music festival with your friends and feeling the bass of the speakers and being outdoors and, you know, walking around. So, again, there's room for both. But I'm I'm still going to music festivals, even though we've had the opportunity to do a lot of cool music stuff in VR. Yeah, you're right. Although I'm a super introvert and the idea of going to that festival without talking to strangers or bugs or sunburns or any of that, that sounds pretty nice, but to each his own. (laughs) There you go. So. All right. Closing thoughts. Uh, If, if our listeners tuned out at any point, which I doubt they did because this is a fascinating conversation. uh, If they only take away one thought from our conversation today, what is the soundbite you want to leave them with? Yeah, so so my closing thought, and hopefully it's a build with uh, what my buddy Luke might have talked to you about in your guys' segment, but virtual reality is a really great opportunity to focus people and close people into an experience and immerse them in that experience. And those are the types of things that we should be using the technology for is to really put people in places where maybe they can't normally be or would be hard to be at. And then augmented reality is a really great tool to enhance or layer upon IRL real world experiences. And so just be thoughtful about those choices as we think about the types of experiences that brands create in this space. So that's my, uh, that's my closing thought. Well, thank you, Austin, for being with us today. That was a great conversation, and I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. appreciate it, and it was uh, great catching up. Yeah, uh, we should actually try to connect in Oculus so we could be VR friends and maybe go uh, watch a concert together. Let's do it. Looking forward (laughs) to it. All right. Uh, And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. This is another episode of WPP's Metaverse and More Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Robertson, and uh, just want to say, stay classy, Metaverse. Thank you for listening to the WPP Metaverse and More Academy podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. If you'd like to learn more about WPP, the creative transformation company, find us at WPP.com or send us a note to newbusiness at WPP.com. That's it for today. We look forward to seeing you in the metaverse.